0: 467 369 in new york call 1-800-next-step in arizona call 1-800-522-4700 in kansas and nevada call 1-800-327-5050 in massachusetts call 1-800-bets-off in iowa call one 800 270 for confidential help in michigan don't forget if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet use bonus code just baseball and get your one thousand dollar first bet offer today
1: It's a game!
2: Baseball show, as always, presented by BetMGM. Today, Tuesday, August 29th, we got to talk about the two hottest teams in baseball. The Seattle Mariners are in sole possession of the American League West as we record on Monday 28th. The Milwaukee Brewers have won eight in a row as we record on August 28th. Uh, Bobochett, Matt Chapman leave in the same game couple of major league debuts we want to talk about and Javier bleeping Assad at the end I'm a huge um, Aram, all good on this front man how are you living I, I also one other note I, I'm prepared to to
1: eulogize the San Diego Padres three weeks after I hyped them up to make a run so um, I also want to eulogize them a little bit at some point of this episode as well. I'm doing fine, thank goodness. You know, here's the beautiful thing about it. You know, Padres fans out there, like I got a couple texts, couple messages, like thank you. Like I know we can get back in it, whatever. And they must be for feeling sure. it because they usually said Bob Melvin like come out and say like, "There's no point in looking at the standings," which I get because it's like if you're not winning yourself, then who gives a shit what's happening in the standings? Um, no. But the beautiful thing is, us take gods. We can just give a take. It doesn't work out. I'll move on to the next take. And Padres fans are out there reeling. Our our own Javier, our own Javier Reyes, I have him still in my contacts as Javi Padres. He's reeling right now, man. And uh, they're going to be a fun team to talk about this offseason. But I just wanted to declare them dead.
2: Yeah. Let's start with the Padres because Manny Machado going ape shit on a cooler was really Mm. cool. Um, Mm -hmm. it was interesting. And I saw, I saw the tweet, like the video that I saw, the caption accompanying that video on X or on Twitter was, this is the most emotion we've seen from Manny Machado all year, which is like a pretty fascinating statement. Um, and I appreciate you owning your L take because I have yet to own my opinion on the 2021 Minnesota twins or the 2022 Minnesota Twins or the 2023 Minnesota Twins. So, I'm just going to kind of live in blissful oblivion on the Minnesota Twins, but I appreciate you owning up on the Padres. Uh, Machado that blow up while it felt warranted also pretty did a pretty good job like kind of encapsulating what's going on with San Diego. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. It's like, why does that blow up come now when you're 61 and 70 and you're this far out of it? Like, you know, I saw a lot of people that were kind of like, you know, where was this a while ago? And, you know, I I wonder, there was like this level of, I think they looked around the clubhouse and they saw who they had. And I think they always felt like, oh, this is going to turn around kind of the way that we did. Now, imagine, you know, you're a future hall of famer surrounded by other guys who have very strong cases of being future hall of famers. You're like, you know, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. And I think for at least Machado yesterday was that point of like, wow, we're like, it's gone. The season's over and like, we got no shot. And to me, that was, (laughs) it came a little late. I don't think they realized how fast things were slipping away. And well, and I guess to, to, played the devil's advocate three weeks ago i thought they had a chance to make a run at it they were only a few games out of it they were a 55 and 58 now they're 61 and 70 like it got away quick um they never had it but it was always within grasp now it's it's gone it's slipped
2: away So you say, you say it happened quick in the span of three weeks. I say it's three weeks, man. Like why didn't this come two weeks ago when it was still within a shot? Why didn't it come a week and a half ago? Why didn't it come a week ago? So I I don't know the fact that it comes right now, I think speaks to your point that you just illustrated really well, that they always felt like it would turn around and there was no sense of urgency to galvanize this team. And last year, they were galvanized because there was urgency. When the Tatis shit hit the fan, Machado was like, "Okay, time to be a leader." And there was really no time this year where there was a concrete time to be a leader moment. So yeah. I think instead of trying to galvanize, like the best managers in baseball get ejected at the best moments. Oh yeah, they get, yeah, yeah, they yeah. get ejected and they try and spur on a win. Same thing this in the is, NBA.
1: You, you see those co- the coaches do it at the perfect time to get exactly themselves exactly
2: yeah. but this is i think equivalent to a manager getting ejected down eight in the eighth inning because of a blown strike three call there's yeah no he's point. just like
1: get me get me the fuck out of here <laughs> like I'm, i've had enough and and it's funny because I, this team man like y- you look at the way it's built and you look at the way things have gone And last year we were like, "Wow, it's finally happening." I I find it incredibly funny that the most galvanizing moment for this team, at least from what we've been able to see on the outside, was Fernando Tatis getting popped for PEDs. Like that was the first time you saw everybody—Musgrove, Machado, whoever was in the clubhouse—like they were all like, "Yeah, you know, we're going to string together. Like he's an idiot. We're going to string together and and make this thing happen." And they played well, like the most galvanizing thing for the San Diego Padres has been arguably their best player getting suspended for the remainder of the season. Like after crashing a motorcycle twice, like that is kind of shows you the state of the clubhouse there. Like that's the thing that brought them together. Like yeah. they're, they're in a rough spot and and I'm not saying blow it up, but you've got to shake it up because you have to understand at this point that this group, Like, I don't buy all the stories that have come out. I think, you know, there's always like a minor truth and then it gets blown up into this bigger story. The the minor truth is this isn't a great clubhouse. I think that, you know, you could say that just by looking at the record. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. But you got to find a way to shake it up. You know, I don't know if it's Soto not talking to Boat, whatever all the the stupid details were. I don't buy all that. But they got to shake something up here this offseason.
2: So we just hit on Machado and Tatis pretty much, and now I do just want to wrap real quick on, on Soto and Bogarts. Soto, you traded for three off seasons of Juan so- or three postseasons of Juan Soto. Now you've taken yourself out of contention in one of those three postseasons. So they had last year; they didn't do it. They had a great run, but it's not a successful mission with Juan Soto yeah. because you didn't get to the World Series, and hell, you didn't huh. win the World Series um next year's their last shot so I I just wonder what the future looks like for Soto in San Diego do they extend him this offseason what's the price point there I think he's you know closer to 300 than he is 400 at this point but the last thing I want to say is is Xander Bogarts man like is it unfair for me to say that I was expecting more leadership from Xander Bogarts this year
1: uh, no, I don't think that's unfair. I, 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 guess like we didn't really know, you know, I, it's just different. You go into a new clubhouse with guys that are already established and it's probably a pretty weird position, right? Like you're joining Machado, you know, Soto's in the fold there. We, you know, we know all the guys that they have on the roster, of course, Tatis as well. And like, yes, in a vacuum, I think I'd expect Bogarts to kind of be that guy that like sets the tone along with this new looks Machado, but uh, maybe he just didn't fit in. You know, like maybe he gets there and it's just like, this is not like it was in Boston. This is a lot different. Um, I don't know. It might be a little bit unfair because he's the new guy. I'd almost pin it more on like, hey, Machado, like I know that you have improved in terms of the way that you carry yourself, but I mean, this should be your team, right? You've been the guy that's been there. You've been the guy that's weathered the storm through Tatis. You were the guy that helped kind of lead them through that postseason, you know, last year. That would have been a guy that I'd, I'd hope would step up. My last question to you on this is if I told you before the season, you don't know anything else. You just have this roster that you know is unbelievable. And I tell you, ha Kim will be top 12 in F-War. How many games did you would you have thought the San Diego Padres won? Not, and not okay. only that, Michael Walker would basically be an all star in the first half. I know he is not pitched since, so that part makes it a little unfair. But mostly on Hasan Kim. How many games do you think they win if I tell you Hasan Kim is top twelve in F four?
2: I think they would be one hundred and thirty two and thirty.
1: Yeah, right. Like that's insane, insane.
2: <laughs> it's nuts, and like. You know, you, you can't just pin it on the four superstars, but you can pin a lot on the fourth super on the four superstars because how much more were you expecting from Trent Grisham? You were expecting more from Cronenworth. You knew I was gonna say Jay
1: Cronenworth's the one
2: guy you can pin it on too. Yeah, you can geez, pin it on Cronenworth. They paid
1: him and he's been ass. Like they paid him.
2: Yeah. And like I, my other thing is like how shitty did you think Austin Nola was? Because we knew he was really shitty. Like, yeah, I yes. don't know. That The complimentary pieces are not the problem for me, and I don't view Cronenworth as a complimentary piece anymore. It's the four superstars in Cronenworth that have been the real issue for me, Um, but I appreciate what Tatis has done, and Soto is having a great year to this point, too. Let's jump to positive news here and the Seattle Mariners who are alone in first place this late in the season for the first time since 2003. Thank you to the GOAT Sarah Langs for putting that note out. But 2003 was each year, oh man, 2003 was a long time ago. That's two decades to be exact. A um, couple of notes that, that I found here. This Mariners team in the month of August They have a team OPS of 874. That's third best in baseball behind Philly, who's been standing on their head in Atlanta, who's been doing this all year long. This is the same offense that was bottom 10 in OPS in April, bottom 10 in May, and they were bottom half in June. So this offense has taken a complete 180. Over the last week and a half, their ERA as a collective staff is under three. The starting rotation has been utterly dynamite, and we've sung the praises of Kirby, Castillo, and Gilbert in the last week and a half on this show. Bullpen looks great. The Seawald move looks freaking awesome. Kez Canzone's playing excellent ball for them. Rojas is playing pretty good ball for them. And Andres Munoz, who's ready to close shit out. Seattle, I think, is in the best position in baseball right now, aside from Atlanta. And frankly, I don't know if it's that close. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> no, I, and it's funny. Like, it's ex—it's exactly what we knew, what everybody knew it needed to look like for this team to be successful. You mentioned the ERA over the – I don't even care. We expected that, right? Like, that that's, that's, that's good. Like, that's great, and that's a big reason why they're awesome. That's what this team is built on. But the question going into this year was, how does this team that – could throw the shit out of the ball last year too and went toe-to-toe in terms of getting outs with the Astros. How does this team score enough runs? They go get Teoscar Hernandez. We hope that certain guys take that step forward. And it just wasn't really happening this year. You'll get the last month. Cal rowley has got 11 homers in his last 26 games. And it's not like that's some crazy, I mean, that's crazy for anybody, but he hit bombs last year. We were expecting him to kind of make that next leap because last year was kind of that breakthrough season for him. He was clutch. He was productive. He's a good power bat. He might not walk, but you know he's gonna run into homers. He wasn't doing that this year. Now he's doing that. Teoscar Hernandez, like that was supposed to be the the X factor type guy to your lineup, right? Like that was supposed to be the guy that really changes the way this lineup looks, gives them a layer that they didn't have. He's been very mediocre all year. Last 25 games, 353. 380, 618 slash line with six homers, and then of course it goes without being said, J Rod being J Rod and actually playing the way he's supposed to be playing, and I think that's a big part of it. But I think if you just had J Rod playing out of his fucking mind in a vacuum, and these other guys didn't step it up, they're probably still, you know, fighting a little bit. Uh, to, to have Cal Rowley doing it at the same time, Teoscar doing it at the same time, Gino Suarez has finally been playing the way that he's supposed to be playing. And then you have to tip your cap to Jerry DePoto because, as you mentioned, they made a mistake with Colton Wong. It just didn't work. But instead of trying to go identify, like, who's some superstar second baseman we can go find, you don't need to find a superstar second baseman. You just need to find somebody that can play above replacement level because you are currently getting the worst production in Major League Baseball at second base. So they go get Josh Rojas on a buy low. Even if he plays league average or even slightly below, that's a massive upgrade at second base. Same thing with Canzone. They kind of needed another body out there with, with Jared Kelnikert. If he plays league average, that's an improvement for your team. I think people really forget that sometimes it's hard to find replacement level play. We're always looking at war wins above replacement, but like yeah. how many teams are starting guys that are below replacement level? And if you can just find a replacement level player, that's an upgrade. We always look at like one war or 0.5 war is like this horrible thing. And in a vacuum, it's not great. But if the rest of your team is good and you have one guy that is literally like sucking the war out of your team cumulatively like Colton Wong was, Rojas is a huge
2: addition. Think about the national shows you watch or you listen to. Think about, you know, turning on First Take or turning on The Herd they're talking about the top 10 quarterbacks in football. They're not talking about the guys that, you know, like quote unquote suck. The league average quarterback is the most taken for granted athlete in sports. Do you know how hard it is to find a league average quarterback? The bears have been looking for that since 1985 and they might have one in fields. Like that's the thing about this Mariners team, man. And I think you illustrated that perfectly what we do as like a national, all encapsulating major league show is we talk about five guys per team, right? That that's what you know major league survey podcasts do. But the reason they're so good right now, yes, it's because Julio's hitting four hundred and ten and has swiped eleven bags in the month of August. Yes, it's because Teoscar is hitting three hundred and sixty with an OPS over a thousand in the month of August. And you mentioned Cal Raleigh's power output but it's because of what Cade Marlowe did for them at the beginning of the month. It's because of what yeah. Canzone's doing for them. You are the best team in baseball because of what you do between the margins. Think about the Atlanta Braves. Acuna's been awesome. Riley is, is powering up. Matt Olson has been amazing. But they're good because fucking Orlando Arcio was the starting shortstop for the National League. Everybody's good for them. So yeah. credit to Seattle for raising their bottom line. their weakest link is better.
1: And that's to put some specific numbers to that. Like Josh Rojas has been disappointing this year, you know, compared to what he was last year. Colton Wong was a negative 1.0 win player in in the eyes of F four. So you replace him with, with Josh Rojas, who's 0.6 F four over the course of the season. Uh, Let's just like for argument's sake and simplify it and just say, that's what he's been for the Mariners. Like, or what he will be the rest of the way, yeah. you know, that's a win and a half that you gain. Like that that's a very, very, very big jump. Not to mention that, like beyond just like that analytical side of it, you're taking a guy that's an automatic out at the bottom of your order to a guy that's yeah, is he gonna fight to hit league average? Sure, but you know, 243 is gonna help you out a lot more than one, whatever. And so again, like you mentioned, their bottom line is a lot better, and then you have the superstar playing like the superstar. And, and, you know, I think that's a big part of it, too, is you see J-Rod playing the way he's playing. And I think the rest of the team starts to feed off of that a little bit. And then I've always said it. He's been hurt a lot of this year and he always gets banged up. You talk about taking for granted. I love Dylan Moore. I, I, I know <laughs> Mariners fans have this like he's a very polarizing player for, for how like little his role is. I've always loved Dylan Moore. I I don't know why. Like, it's something about the speed and, like, he'll surprise you with just a a, a rocket of a home run. But, I mean, this guy was a two-win player last year. He hasn't played all year long. He's been hurt. He's finally back in the fold. And Dylan Moore, over his last 18 games, 298, 377, 546, like, with – what is it? We got four walks, 17 – he's going to strike out but he's driven in seven runs like I don't know I, I'm a Dylan Moore guy and that's a awesome super utility guy to add to the fold as well like
2: they're just clicking on all cylinders and they're as deep as ever do they hold on to the ALS do you think they win the division I said last week I think the Mariners win the division I still stand by that
1: <sighs> the Astros look as vulnerable as they've looked but I mean they're gonna get they're gonna get Michael Brantley back, whatever that looks like. Um, you know what?
2: You know what game kind of did me in for Houston was Fromber no hit through seven, one hit till the bottom of the ninth, and Parker Meadows walks it off with that three run homer. I'm like, this team's not indestructible. <laughs>
1: they're they're we they're, they're they're not they're not our typical Astros team. I would say that, but but my question is, like Kyle Tucker playing the way he's playing, I. Altuve is a one uh, I'm looking at the rest of this team and I'm still like I still believe that that they're going to kind of just get hot down the stretch and make it happen. But I also feel like this is a team that doesn't feel like they necessarily need the division to be successful. Like I I don't know if they're going to empty the tank trying to win the division. The Mariners, on the other hand, I think they do empty the tank to try to win the division. So that, that might make it a little bit different. I do think it's going to be hard for the Mariners to give it up because they're getting a quality start every single day. It seems like, and on the flip side, you know, this is the least confident I've ever been in an Astros rotation, though. It does help that they get our back
2: here. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know what you, you think
2: Mariners hold on. I do. I, I think so because I think regular season baseball is louder at T-Mobile park than it is at minute made. And that is very basic analysis. But think about the raucous moments in the regular season that you see. They're in Seattle, man. Like, I really don't see the raucous moments in Houston at all. I, I think that regular season baseball matters in Seattle when the Mariners are good, and the Mariners right are especially. really good right now.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll feed off of that. I do think there's a level of just,
2: like, they, they need that division more, Ooh, and I think Julio they're going to go balls to the wall. Julio almost cursed on a live mic yesterday. Did you see that? He held back, yeah. he held back the word shit. And I was like, that's some energy from J Rod. Yeah. And, and Mariner's fans gave him like a roaring applause after the fact. I, I think they're all systems go in the regular season.
1: I, I agree. You know, and again, when you get to the playoffs, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, but I, I'm with you. I think I think it's interesting. I think with the rotation looking the way it's looking, you know, Brantley might have a little bit of that acclimation process. Jordan just continues to kind of be banged up. Uh, we'll see what they get from Abreu. Peña's had that a disappointing sophomore season. Modernado's become unusable. Like there's there's questions here. There's I'm not gonna count them out in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like we got a lot of regular season games to go still. Um, I think the Mariners could be more consistent.
2: I think it was April or May. I said Kyle Tucker was a two hundred billion dollar player. Like that was a hot take. I think he's closer to three hundred. Yep.
1: He's the most underrated superstar in Major League Baseball. I will be buying his cards, by the way, too. Like, that's a guy I am 100% copying the cards. Like, he, he, he's somebody that's still underpriced, like, incredibly underpriced. Are you doing it on alt, arm? Of course I am. <laughs> of course okay. I am. But, no, isn't it crazy? Like, his cards, <clears throat> that was one that I actually used alt for. I looked at it, and I was floored. He's priced lower, like, for his Bowman Chrome Auto PSA 10, which is, like, you know, the, if you want to buy, like, the Apple stock of a player, like, in terms of, like, everyone always asks, like, I want to invest in a player. Uh, obviously, this is going to be the more expensive way to do it. But you can go on Alt and you can search it, and it'll give you, you know, search Kyle Tucker. It'll give you every single PSA 10 Bowman Chrome Auto of his. And it's, you can compare it to other cards on there. Like, there's no better price guide than alt. And the craziest part is, like, you'll compare them to some prospects and he, Kyle Tucker's cheaper than some of the top outfield prospects in baseball right now. And I'm like, you're praying to every god on earth that that prospect becomes Kyle Tucker. I know it's Astros. I know, like, all that good stuff. But Tucker might not stay there. We know they don't give $300 million to guys. So when Tucker gets 300 mil from the Astros in a few years, <laughs> like, he's going to be a popular card, man. Like, that guy could go to Cooperstown. Like, I'm buying that card on alt. Like, I promise you. And I'm kind of mad I said it now because <laughs> – because i didn't get a chance to buy them all before maybe some of the listeners scoop them up but i'm literally going to buy it before we we publish this this episode
2: tucker i thought for a moment tucker was a boris guy but tucker's an excel guy so shout out excel winning oh, again yeah. this is really exciting shout out excel on that one Alt.xyz. xyz link is in our episode description go get your cards on alt and go save your search. So when Aram does unload his top prospect cards to go get more Kyle Tucker cards, go get the top prospect cards. It's you a mutually how i
1: I'm, I'm getting Kyle Tucker right now. Finally uh, get to sell these Josh Lowe's Josh Lowe's got it. Josh Lowe out of 99 Josh Lowe out of 50. And I might have to be unloading this Matt McClain out of 99 here. It might be time to let him go.
2: McLean's been great, I think. Now I know, like, oh, I
1: know. It's more of just like to to be able to go like buy some more blue chip stock, you know, and trying to move up from the penny stocks. Like I got I got Ryan Clifford over here that I've been holding on to for a little bit. Finally get to cash in the Willier Abreu over here. Um, yeah, he got big debut by the Red Sox. He's good. He's actually not bad. I think he can, he can fill the Jaron Duran role a little bit out there in Boston. I mean, Duran's been playing on another level, but I do think that he can hold his weight.
2: More Willier or Bray, you talk a little bit later in the episode because we've got now a trio of big league debuts to hit on real quick. Um, but you mentioned McLean. Let's stay in the National League Central here and let's go to the Milwaukee Brewers, who, again, at this point have won eight in a row through this weekend since August 18th. So that's last week. Friday not last Friday this like this past weekend the Friday before that you go back I think that's a 10 game stretch that Milwaukee's played in there they as a team have walked 41 times and struck out 51 times 12.5% walk rate is the best clip in baseball during that stretch 15.5% K rate is the best clip in baseball during that stretch it sounds boring I know it's not sexy But walks and strikeouts offensively, walking a lot, not punching out, that's what they're doing as a team right now. And in turn, they've won eight games in a row. It might just be that fucking simple.
1: What do you think they were looking for when they traded for Mark Canna? Exactly that. (laughs) Exactly that, like to a T. And can I be fully honest? I forgot they traded for Mark (laughs) Canna until I tuned in recently. He was playing for first base. Did you see him playing first base? Yeah, it was, well, first of all, I was like, "Wait, who is that?" Mark Hanna out there? Like, I know I, those sideburns anywhere. Oh my gosh! Like, so for, full disclosure: do this for a living. Totally blanked on Mark Hanna being acquired by the Brewers. Great pickup. Like, he might give you league average offense, slightly above, but he's going to grind out at bats. He's a good guy to add to the fold. Again, we talk about the value of just like not having a break in your lineup. Like, if the quote-unquote break in your lineup. Now is they've won last. Now it's probably Terang or like Monasterio, but
2: you're hoping I like, like Monasterio man, Monasterio, Monasterio can be good. good.
1: You're you're hoping you can platoon Brian Anderson. Who's been, you know, banged up and per usual, you know, and there's not, not being able to play to his ability, but yeah, maybe he can give you a little bit, something more. They definitely needed a can on the fold. Like Carlos Santana, again, walks. I think they went all in on like walks running into some homers and, and they've got some speed now in the fold too we're going to talk about guys that can be added to the roster and as they expand in September on the call up. And you, you mentioned Tyler black. I mean, Tyler black fits like a glove for what this team needs. He can play the hot corner. He can play a little first. He can be that bench. Like you mentioned, like pinch runner type. And then rowdy being back and starting to get rolling. Hopefully like that's a power bat that they can have in the fold too. Um, This is, this seems for real. I, I I'm, I've always been pro brewers this season. Like I will say I've been pro brewers and they survived without Woodruff and a, and a crappy burns to start the year. Relatively speaking. Now they've got Woodruff back. Now they've got burns. Peralta seems to be throwing the ball. All right. Like this team's coming together.
2: And Devin looks so gross right now. He's, he's an elite closer. There's few things more enjoyable than Devin Williams when he's truly on. Yeah. I'd say Felix Bautista is, is more enjoyable than Devin, but it sucks that he's got a UCL injury quote to some degree, according to the Orioles. We talked about that with Walker Bueller, but your thoughts on Felix Bautista likely being done for the year and probably turning to Yanir Cano to close games for the best I mean, team in the AL East?
1: It's, that's a big deal, man. That's, that's a, a big, big, big deal. deal. That's a big, big deal. deal. Um, the good news is they have other arms. I'm still a believer. I'm a believer in closer by committee, unless you have the big bad man. Like I'm, I'm very okay with a few different people being able to close. We've seen some of the best bullpens in recent memory have a handful of different guys close games out. Remember the Giants in their in their freak season, they had like 12 different guys with double with uh, multiple saves. The the Dodgers every year are like that, but there's always a butt to that. The butt is when you have a Devin Williams. The butt is when you have a big bad man like Felix Bautista. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who steps up. The good news is they do have the type of team that could have been closer by committee, and and, yep. and I think they have other guys that could close them out. So we'll see. You know, Hopefully D.L. Hall can now slot into a seventh-inning role for them, and then all of a sudden you, your eighth-inning guy can can pick up some saves too. Um, your new eighth-inning guy, that is. Yeah, I know Brian Baker's already been – been on the mend so he he looks like he could be back I'm not too worried about the bullpen but there is just something about that like imposition of the game is over that was great about the Orioles that they don't have right now with with Batista out which does stink I do want to circle back on the Brewers bullpen real quick too Um, Peter pushed back hard on me in the beginning of this year because I said I thought the Brewers bullpen was actually pretty good and I thought this team was gonna be pretty good and he's like no I actually don't think that bullpen's that good and in, in in his defense, who thought Joel Pyamps would be this good? But uh, and Brewers was, did when
2: they traded for him.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But he's been on another level. Um, Devin Williams has been awesome. Abner Arrive, we talked about him as a prospect. I, I did not factor that into my equation of the Brewers' bullpen this year. Like I said, I like the Brewers' bullpen because I was like, I, I believe in Devin Williams. I believe in a couple of the guys that they have in the fold there. I think Piamps will be fine. And I think they'll be able to just get out. Uh, They've been way better than I thought they would be. And Peter almost like talked me back the other way. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like there's probably more of an average bullpen than a good one. But you have a rebate throwing 103 um, and and throwing enough strikes now, which was our big question when we saw him as a prospect. They add Chafin. You know, they have all these other options that have been really solid. And then you have one of the best closers in baseball. This is a well-rounded team that finally is just scoring enough with some of the young guys being able to make an impact. If Willie Adamas can kick it into another
2: gear, look out. This might be the best Brewers team in a while. So my working theory on Andrew Chafin is you take that guy and you put him in a a city that specializes in craft beer and dairy, and that guy's going to turn into Billy Wagner.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I hope that works. (laughs) It, It might be. We'll see. AL East, um, Toronto was dealt a really tough blow on Sunday. Same game, Bo Bichette leaves with a quad issue and Matt Chapman leaves with a finger issue. Initial report is it might just be quad tightness or quad soreness for Bichette and he'll be day-to-day. Chapman, it looks like he could actually land on the injured list. If Chapman does go on the I.L., And Bachet does miss five to seven games with this quad issue. Are they screwed with how good the AL West is right now?
1: They're they're in trouble. Um, And well, you're, you're talking about Toronto, so AL
2: East. Yeah, but with how good the AL West is, like they might be screwed out of a wild card spot. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, Tampa's playing great ball somehow, no. some way. And Tampa needs a lot of love right now. Let's take a moment to heap praise on Tampa. The fact that they got dealt the McClanahan thing and the Wanda Franco shit in the same week, and they're still playing great ball with Oslavis Basabe at shortstop. Chill. Come on, man. This team is a machine. I know. It's unbelievable. And,
1: and you know, like, it, it seems like people talk about, like, player development and all that good stuff, but it seems like, in this situation here, <laughs> I, I know race fans will complain and be like, Oh, like our guys don't always come up and produce. It seemed like everybody that they've plugged and played this year has been ready to go. And, and it's been ready to, to serve a role. I think it says a little bit about the player though. Like a slave Pasabe just seems like he was, he's unfazed. Like he's come in. I'm not saying he's going to light the world on fire, but we talked about how, how tough of a job that is. Like he comes in, plugs in and, and has been able to hold his own. They've got other guys that have been able to plug and play. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. This is the ultimate race test, right? Like we always joke about how they plug random dudes in. They piece it all together with these bullpen games or, like, makeshift rotations, bullpens, whatever it may be, and they find a way. This is the epitome of that, and they're doing it. And and I loved Brandon Lau's quote after the, the little, like, scuffle with the Yankees, and he's like, yeah – They're a last place team trying to, you know, trying to ignite a spark. Like we're a team playing for something um, and we're not going to like waste our time with that. And to me, it's just like this team, you can say what you want about what they do in the postseason or what they don't do, but they're always there. And the core of this team has always been there now, or at least several of these guys, even if they're playing or they're hurt or whatever, I feel like a lot of the leaders of the clubhouse now have this experience Playing meaningful games down August, playing meaningful games into September, and unfortunately losing guys because the Rays have been relatively cursed over the yeah. last couple years with with stuff like that. So I think several of these guys are used to it. I think several of these guys just have their heads down and 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 know what it's like to play high leverage baseball down the stretch here as the AL East has kind of been a juggernaut. And I just think the Rays mentality—you know—we always hear players talk about how laid back it is and and how it's kind of player driven. And I think these players are just, especially you talk about something galvanizing a clubhouse, like you got to come closer together when you, when you have things that have happened the way they have this year and you know, you could fall apart or come together. This team's been there. I think they've really come together and I'm not counting them out at all. I'm just not going to, um, because they still have plenty of talent and they have a lot of young players that could kind of hit another gear. And like, you know, if Curtis Mead goes Matt McClain, would you be shocked? Like I wouldn't. Yeah. I know they're different players, but I'm just talking about production wise. Like, yeah. wouldn't be shocked at all. And all of a sudden, now this team looks a lot scarier.
2: No, I think this team is I- incredible. And like, I'm eating more shit day by day because I still believe. Like, I don't think they have the rotation to go deep into the postseason. They've won eight of ten, Bobby. Like, they don't, like, they don't have
1: anything that a tradition like that that a baseball mind would look at depth chart wise and say. Thumbs up. Go right ahead. This is going to work.
2: And but. you and I both have immense prospect bias. So I think we look at Basabe and Mead, and it's like, okay, yeah, they can be good. But I look at this rotation, man, and I'm just like, there's no McClanahan here. There's no Rasmussen here. There's no Boz here. How are they going to do this? Glassnow has been incredible for them. Eflin has been amazing for them all year long. Savali has been reliable. Like, it's just, it's bizarre what yeah. we're seeing should we, it's,
1: it's amazing. And I don't know, is there an update on Shane Boz? Is there any chance at all that they can get? I'd assume. No, I don't think he
2: started a rehab yet. Yeah. yeah. I would say maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, could you imagine? So I saw on March 30 started throwing to the beginning of the year that usually puts X amount of months. It's It's, it's going to be tough um that would have been a really awesome wrinkle is if they get like a Shane Boz back in the fold and he comes in and just starts going nuts for them but looks like that's probably unlikely um we'll see we'll see what they'll be able to do on the pitching front maybe Taj can come back up and make an impact Uh, I do think Kobe White could end up having Mm -hmm. a nice little impact in that bullpen that guy's got a special fastball but it'll be interesting to see how they how they piece it all together but to circle back to the, the Blue Jays. Yeah, Toronto. I mean, this is where you know, I talk about a, a point that, that Peter made about, you know, the, the Brewers' bullpen. Peter has a uh, a prize pick century that looks like it, it's going to like – it needs one piece to cash. And, I mean, he's crushed all of it. It was like six legs. Five of the legs are pretty much taken care of. And the last leg should have been the easiest layup of all of them, which was like – Vlad Guerrero Jr. to have X amount of hits and it was like a pretty low number and he's like gonna have to play well to get that and I just think it's so wild that like I mean Peter threw out Jordan under home runs like Kershaw under K's like like all of these different things that most people would never touch hits those and then it's the Vlad Guerrero Jr. hits that may not hit and and I think that's the funniest part because it's like I think I think Peter's going to get it, which will be a really a nice wrinkle. And what's been a uh, up and down season for him, um, and, and a really impressive entry there. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is, it's on Vladdy now, man. Like this is where Vladdy needs to take them to the promised land. George Springer's been playing better of late. Uh, y- you've had Davis Schneider come in and hit five pumps in eleven games, which I love the Davis Schneider story. That's been awesome. Brandon Belt all of a sudden has seven homers in 21 games. Like they've got the complimentary pieces doing what they need to do. You've lost Bichette, who was your superstar all year. Matt Chapman had his moment in the beginning of the year. He's fallen off a cliff for a while now. So you, know, you can't really put it on him. Varsho has even come alive this month. Vladdy, it is on you. You need to play like Vlad Guerrero Jr. You need to be the guy that's supposed to be one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. Like, I think it's really just that simple. I hate boiling it down to one player. I hate making it that simple. Like, the ship has sailed on Alejandro Kirk this year. He's just not going to be good for you. Like, Vlad Guerrero Jr. needs to be Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I think it's just that simple.
2: I think it might be that simple as well. And it would be really nice if Bichette can play Robin to Vladdy's Batman down the stretch. But, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. No notes there. I love that.
1: Bichette's been Batman. And I'm just saying like, like until Bichette comes back or like if Bichette's banged up, I'm like, Vladdy needs to take the pressure off this guy. He rushed back after a little knee buckle. I'm not going to try to speculate, but I can imagine the quad and the knee have some sort of thing in common. Yeah. Like help your guy out, take some pressure off of him and be the dude
2: you're supposed to be. Vladdy just got to 20 homers, right? Like just now think so yeah it's it's just it's not miserable like he's having you know if you viewed him from a blank slate he's in he's a well above average hitter but we can't expect 340 and 35 homers but we want 340 and 35 homers because we know that's the tank and he just hasn't shown that the last two years
1: Dude, I would take what he did last year even at this point, which was yeah. 274 and 32 homers. When you are a subpar first baseman at best or or DH, you got to mash. I mean, he's a half a win player this year. I mean, Kyle Schwarber has been more valuable while playing the worst left field of all time. Yeah. Like, it's it's just like that. And you're that, not being
2: hyperbolic, actually the worst left like, field. No, like
1: legitimately the worst left field. I think, I, I think it was Peyton, um, our guy Peyton Genus, who does an unbelievable job. Um, he was pointing out, I think, that he hasn't made a catch with a catch probability under 80% this year. <laughs> I think, I genuinely think if you take an average athlete, and I'm not saying they would do it like all the time, but if you take an average athlete and you throw them out there, I do think that if they've seen some fly balls in their life, I think they make a catch with a catch probability under 80, like a 75% catch probability grab.
2: Yeah, I think I think you give them a, a month to practice. Yeah. Like a hundred fly balls a day. They're gonna them. miss
1: they're gonna miss a bunch
2: of routine ones that Schwaber makes
1: a catch on. So like I'm not trying to like belittle it. Like you you put some guy out there that played high school ball and you know, get some time to to practice. He's still going to miss some very routine high fly balls that that Kyle Schwarber catches with ease. Tough but I catch. do think I do think that this Samaritan makes one grab with a catch probability under eighty percent. Like that yes. is like, Schwarber's is just not capable of covering enough ground to do but it. But that's
2: but that's Vladdy's issue right now too, man. Like Vladdy, the At fact first. that he's not outproducing that guy and he's playing first base where you can be immobile and still be serviceable is. Almost borderline impressive from him. It's it's tough, man. He's 24. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Like, come on. You can't play first. You're 24. You're a freak athlete in the box. The way he moves in the box is unbelievable. His knees don't hurt, bro. His knees no. don't hurt. Like, Schwarber was a catcher and stuff. Like, I give him a lot more a lot more leeway. He's 30. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, <laughs> come on, Vladdy.
2: All right, let's wrap with three debuts and then wax poetic about a certain Cub. I'll save the third guy who's the Cub for last. Um, Willier Abreu recently added to the list. What do you make of him? And we can kind of go rapid fire through these.
1: Yeah, we'll Willier's fun. You know, I obviously the circumstances stink that, you know, Duran has to hit the, the IL and take some time here. And, you know, there might be some growing pains with Abreu, but what I like is I think he's one of those guys that is not going to be entirely unproductive because he walks as much as anybody in the minor leagues. He has above average speed. He's got above average power, and and he can play all three outfield spots, at least at a passable level. So that's kind of what I want when I'm in an emergency plug-and-play situation, a guy that can run into some home runs, a guy that even when he's not hitting is going to walk, and a guy that can can run a little bit and play all three outfield spots. So Abreu, he was acquired in that Vasquez deal. I've always liked him as a prospect, um, and and I thought that one that was a great get by the, by the Red Sox in in a rental Vasquez trade there, and, and two, I think Abreu can actually hold it down and be a decent piece for them.
2: Yeah. Um, all right, Hunter Goodman, <laughs> let's let's take a gander at Hunter Goodman's numbers over the last couple of years. Last year, um, he was seventy three games in low A, forty nine in high A, twelve in double. He hit two ninety four with 36 homers and 106 driven in, in 134 games. In 106 minor league games this year, 91 in AA Hartford, which is a pretty tough place to hit, Mm -hmm. and then 15 games in Albuquerque, which is a very easy place to hit, Hunter Goodman has 30 doubles, 34 homers, and 111 RBIs. In 106 games, 34 and 111, in 106 games in triple a albuquerque 15 games this guy this guy slashed 371 418 903 slugging that's a 1321 ops he had nine homers in 15 games just had a multi-hit major league debut for the colorado rockies and oh by the way he made a diving play at first base he's a first baseman is he already a better option moving forward than tolia
1: yeah. Oh yeah. No, 150%. Yes. 150%. Yes. And we were joking about it on the call up. We said Hunter Goodman to the PCL is going to be comical in terms of home runs. And he, within how many games did you say he played there? Was it 15. nine? 13?
2: No, 15. He had 15. nine in 15 games.
1: Yeah. He had nine home runs in 15 games. He had three multi Homer games in the PCL. So three Every five games, he had a multi-homer game as he was there. Like, that's insane. This is a dude that hits the ball in the air consistently, drives it in the air consistently. And, again, you mentioned, like, what he did in Hartford. That's a tough place to hit. That's, like, the one – that's the biggest leap, I think, for Rocky's prospects is, like, the lower levels, the ball generally flies. Triple-A, the ball generally flies. If you hit for power and double, that's a great sign. Because then you're like – Okay, that's going to translate because Hartford is is a big ballpark that it obviously doesn't fly nearly and as well. And Colorado, Colorado is an easier yeah.
2: place than Hartford. Yeah. Oh, a million
1: percent. And so to see what he did in in AAA was just hilarious. Like I thought it was going to be a cheat code, and then it was even more of a cheat code than that. How do you hit nine home runs in fifteen games? It's absolutely absurd. And then to start there, you know, in 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 the big leagues, couldn't ask for much more than that. Um, he came up as a catcher. He's not going to catch. I just like don't. I, The bat was just way too good for, for I think, the Rockies to wait for the glove to come around. Yeah. I think he's going to be iffy in a corner. Like, it's going to take some time. So, I, I agree. I think he ends up being better at first than Tolia. And then you, you throw him in the outfield to keep the bat in the lineup at points. But this guy's going to hit the ball in the air. He's going to hit a lot of home runs. And I think this is a legitimate name to, to follow. Like, I do think he's going to be a productive big league hitter. I really do.
2: Last debut is the lefty Jordan Wicks for the Cubs, who was their first round pick in 2021. Jordan Wicks started in Pittsburgh on Saturday. First major league hitter he saw hit a home run against him in Brian Hayes. Second major league hitter he saw was Brian Reynolds, who singled. His final line five innings, those two hits, nine Ks, one walk. One base runner after the second hitter of the game for Jordan Wicks. <laughs> I was not expecting this. I was expecting five innings, but I was expecting him to scatter six hits and strike out three and walk one. I did not have nine punch outs in his major league debut on my bingo card.
1: So that's the, that's the funny thing, man. It's like he's, these guys get scouting reports, I think. You know, some of these big leaguers, they get scouting reports on a guy making his debut. And this is totally speculation for me because I didn't get to talk to anybody that faced Jordan Wicks in that game. I've talked to people who faced Jordan Wicks in the past um, who have talked about how good he is. But when you're in the minors and you get a scouting report that says, hey, changeup is really good. You say changeup is really good. I feel like there's a level of like big leaguers. They get a minor leaguer coming up who hasn't been like celebrated like this big, big name guy. And you get plus change. Oh, yeah, okay. I see a plus change every day. I To me, it looked like a lineup of guys who were perplexed at how good Jordan Wicks' changeup was. It was like, oh, yeah, plus change, whatever. Nah, that's plus plus. That's that's a big league elite changeup. And Jordan Wicks went to that changeup 27 times and, and had a ton of success with it. I, I don't think he gave up a hit, and I think he punched out five with that change up that set up everything else for him. And, you know, a, a cool story was, and Wicks is supremely confident on the mound. One of my buddies in, in minor league ball texted me this story um, as kind of just like this Wicks has it story um, that I thought I just appreciated Wicks and and this guy battle it out 12, 13, 14 pitches. And then He takes a pitch for ball four, gets to first base, Wicks locks back in, strikes out the next batter. As they're walking off, he looks back at the guy that worked the walk and said, great A.B., brother. That was a grind. And the reason why the guy texted me that was most pitchers get pissed off or this or that, and he was like, to me, as a hitter, that screamed a guy that is as confident in himself as possible, like – out there it's a battle like you're it's not really it's not really me versus you it's just me being the best version of myself and seeing if it works and like that's what wick screams there's nothing that jumps off the table with him besides his changeup. he's a lefty who knows how to pitch who's supremely confident and i don't know that like nice ab brother like that was a grind like kind of attitude to me is exactly what i'd want out of a jordan wicks type of player like, he's not going to try to muscle up and overpower you. He's not going to try to be something he's not. And he's a supremely confident pitcher. Um, I, I think you saw that out there. It was relaxed, but it was competitive. And I that, that nice A.B. brother is like relaxed but competitive. And I think that, that's exactly what Jordan Wicks is.
2: 100%. Um One quick note, I remember the Pirates getting obliterated by a changeup earlier this year. And I was like, "Uh, when did that happen? That happened to Tyler Anderson in Anaheim last month. And I was like, Tyler Anderson hasn't been good this year. But we know Tyler Anderson has one of the better changeups in baseball. And when it's right, you know, it's good. But changeups should get soft contact. You shouldn't get whiffs on changeups. Pirates swung at 12 Jordan Wicks changeups. They whiffed. Nine times 12 swings, nine whiffs. You go back to Tyler Anderson on July 23rd, the Pirates swung 32 times. Tyler Anderson got 15 whiffs on the changeup from the Pirates. Yeah. So Wicks might have been gifted the worst change up hitting lineup in all of baseball. Yeah. But still man like to, to do, do the is crazy.
1: Yeah. And, and like the strikeouts aren't going to look like that to your point. Yeah. I think mean, you make an excellent like an excellent point there is that he's going to have to pitch a little bit more and some of these other outings where like you can't throw 27 changeups and 18 four seamers. <laughs> like, it's just you're going to have to mix it up. But here's the thing is the four seamer and the sinker he threw a co- combined 25 four seamers, pitchers are, that were labeled as four seamers and sinkers or excuse me sorry 25 strike seven balls okay so 32 pitches that were labeled as fastballs and 25 of them were strikes that's how you're gonna set things up too right like I mean the fastball really set up the changeup again this is a dude that just knows how to pitch flatly and I want to shout out Jed Hoyer uh, the, the Cubs continue to ace the draft when and it's not just like having a mold and sticking to it. It's zigging some years and zagging others. Jordan Wicks fell into their lap. Okay, we take him. That's going to be a big league starter for them for a while. Uh, Matt Shaw, great pick. That's a guy that I thought kind of fell into their lap. But they underslotted Cade Horton. He looks like one of the best pitching prospects in baseball now. At number seven overall, they underslotted him big time. That allows them to get Jackson Ferris, who looks like he could be a top 100 pitching prospect. They are cooking and I'm sure I'm missing things. This is off the dome, but they are cooking in the draft and that is helping setting them up for some sustainable success. It's also why they were okay with trading a rental DJ hers, who's been awesome in the nationals or a great trade for the Nats, but that's why they were okay with trading a rental DJ hers. Hey, we just drafted Jackson Ferris. Who's better than him. Like they are setting themselves up to be able to add to the big league team by drafting well. And that's why I always emphasize that drafting is so important. Oh, we won't see these guys for five years. It's not about that. It's about building a portfolio of assets that you can cash in on, on big league talent. And Jed Hoyer is doing that. The Cubs are awesome. We didn't mention them in this episode, but they've been playing great ball. And I think Jed Hoyer is starting to really solidify himself as one of the best in the business in terms of executives
2: for sure that tandem of jed hoyer and carter hawkins is is really really strong um and like you didn't even mention who hers was traded for it's a guy that's opsing 900 and hitting 300 in candelario in 23 games so it's been a good deal um i want to wrap with javier fucking assad and we've talked about this guy we kind of broke in with him last year when we both watched him, I think in triple a, and then he got up for his first taste of the big leagues. And it was like, wow, this guy throws like six pitches in any given count. And none of them are really good, but he keeps guys off balance. And then he had that massive breakout in the world baseball classic this year as a two, three inning reliever for Mexico, dude, Javier Assad has been one of the more unheralded pitchers in all of baseball. And moving forward, I think the Cubs are going to be in the postseason because they're running out of five, including Jordan Wicks and Javier Assad. So far this year, in 79 innings, Assad is sporting a 2.96 ERA, and the one that catches me by surprise: opponents are hitting 220 against him. Yeah, Javier Assad, 19 and a third innings out of the bullpen in July. This guy allowed one earned run. He moves to the rotation in August. This guy's got an ERA at 2.48. And has two starts of seven innings and one run this month. Assad has been dynamite.
1: Yeah. So, again, this was a cool one because Assad, I I saw him by accident in double A. You know, I didn't give a crap about him at the time. I'll be honest. I was there looking at, you know, all the different prospects that, that were relevant at the time. I was more excited to see Canario. At the time, I was more excited to see Matt Mervis. I was more excited to see a lot of different guys, you know, in that ball game. Assad just happened to be the pitcher. And I was sitting behind home plate. And I'm like, everything is moving in a different direction. Nothing looks insane. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk to, to some of the, the guys on the other side that faced Assad after this game. And they were like, man, there's like not really an approach for him because this guy can throw you six different pitches and like he's comfortable throwing all of them. He's got a sinker, a cutter, a four seamer, a slider, a curveball, and a changeup. And he'll go to any of them. Like there's ones that he'll go to more than others, but right again, one, right. What do you think he's going to Ziggy Zags? And then he hits his spots with all of them. I've never seen a player that gets more outspoken support from his teammates than Assad does. You got people on Twitter all that like Albert Alzali, who's like a pure stuff guy. It's like you don't have to be a stuff guy. Like Assad just knows how to pitch, whatever. And I'm just like, dude, this is cool. This is really Bro, cool. Didn't Mark and, Leiter? And truth, he knows how Mark to pitch? Leiter,
2: Mark Leiter said Assad is like one of the best pitchers in baseball, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, we think, love him, but no. But uh, okay.
1: okay. Maybe, maybe off of like ability, because he might be like one of the least talented. In terms of just like raw stuff. So I don't know. Like, imagine if he had like freak stuff. I think he would maybe be one of the best pitchers in major league baseball.
2: So Javier Assad, like he's chubby and he wears glasses, not goggles. He wears full-blown thick frame glasses and he looks socially awkward in the dugout when he's not starting. There's something so endearing about Javier Assad. I, I think this guy's gonna be a fan favorite for a long time. I love him. I loved him in Iowa when I saw him, and I fucking love him now. Yeah.
1: He he just limits hard contact and gets out. He's awesome. He's
2: awesome. He's so much fun. And I I do think the Cubs are a postseason team and they're going to run out of five through the end of this year of Steel, Hendricks, Tyone, Wicks, and Assad, and it's going to get it done. So that's it from us on the Just Baseball Show. Um, I think me and Peter tomorrow and then Peter and Aram on Thursday. Yeah, that's the case uh enjoy the ball tonight a couple of really good pitching matchups including Savali going for Tampa against Sandy Alcantara in Miami um every link you need in the episode description and Peter and I will talk to you